You're listening to The Broken Meeple Show, a podcast that speaks passionately about board games for the benefit of those who play them. My name's Luke Hector, best known for The Broken Meeple YouTube channel, and I'm an everyday gamer just like you. And I'll be talking about reviews, top tens, and just about anything that connects me to board games, as long as I have a tea or coffee in hand, that is. So grab a cup, relax, and enjoy. And remember, it's only a game. Hello everyone, welcome to another Broken Meeple episode, podcast, show, whatever you call it these days. Whew. It's a little warm in the house at the moment, it's not the warmest of days we've had this summer, but it's a bit humid, so the house is a little bit on the ugh, muggy side, so I'll try and make do, slight bit of a headache as a result, I don't like the temperature change when we get to the summer, the summer is my worst season of the year by far, I do not take the heat very well, so you know, I just gotta get through it, I mean I'm dreading when hay fever starts kicking in again, that'll be fun. So, well, yeah, other than that, though, life pretty good. <laughs> you know, I'm still waiting for my car, the new car, the uh, Suzuki Swiss Sport upgrade. I had a phone call recently that I couldn't return, and and I'm hoping that when I call them tomorrow, it'll be like, oh, does that mean it's delivered? Or oh, can I have it now? Because I really want my new car. I just want to take it out for a drive somewhere. Although I've got to work this week, so that might have to wait till next weekend. But certainly, it'd be nice to sort of take a an extended trip to somewhere, you know, for a walk, maybe like somewhere in Sussex and... You know, just to have the car there. Although later this month, I do have a week off work and I'm planning to uh, resume a plan that I had last year when the pandemic hit. It was an intention to go to the Yorkshire Dales and spend a week up there just chilling, relaxing, not doing board game stuff and walking up the Free Peaks. Not the Free Peaks Challenge where you do all three of them in a day. No, I'm not that crazy yet. But just over a space of a few days, just exploring a bit of the Yorkshire Dales and walking up those three mountains at some point during the free during the week and I've got it planned got a hotel booked uh, just about 20 minutes away from each of them you know that I can drive to so I can drive all the way up to the hotel stay there get breakfast and dinner there and then for the day I can just go out and just explore a little bit in nature clear my head and uh, make up for you know just make up for the fact that I couldn't do this last year in April you know the fact that we're now allowed to go out and hotels are running and stuff it's like right finally now can I go back into the Yorkshire please because that was on my intention I do like going to these different national parks in the UK and doing hill hikes you know I love hills well but all right that's a bit of a weird one I, I like hill walks I like climb walks I don't like just picking a flat route and walking for 20 miles that's just not my thing and my feet can't take that long distance anyway but you know, I like to do I like to do tough hill climbs. So I've been to the Lake District and done several up there. I want to go to Yorkshire and do these ones. I want to do the Peak District. Still haven't done Snowdon yet. I really do need to do Snowdon in Wales. But I mean, if I went to a, if I went abroad to say America, I'd want to go around the Rockies or some of the Canadian um, mountains there and stuff like that. You know, I wouldn't want to be just walking in a straight line. I, just, I feel like you need that. I like that challenge because then when you get to the top, you get that massive view and you take some panoramic photos and it's like, yeah, you know what I worked hard and this is my reward a nice view on a sunny day there's just there's more to it than just simply going ah I walked this distance and ow my feet hurt and my reward is my car where I left earlier it's like it doesn't have the same impact but other than that though job's still boring <laughs> as always generally is you know I'm an accountant of course it's not the most fun job in the world but I've not won the lottery yet so uh gotta pay the bill somehow 
And the blog is still going pretty well at the moment. Um, you know, subscribers are starting to climb again after a, a massive standstill for the last few months. Suddenly, I'm actually starting to get some more subs on, but more to the point, some more views as well. You know, the now since I've resumed, since I made those changes from that feedback video, things have definitely improved, not just in terms of people listening to some of the podcast topics, which are more interesting now, but also the the like the extra content I've got, such as I'm trying to get that thing off the screen. Uh, get off, get off. There we go. So you know things like the top ten list. You know I've done top ten essential expansions, eighteen thousand views. And yes, I know that before you play, you could look at me and go, "Hi, peasant." You know, <laughs> for like them being able to get like thirty five thousand in the space of a day or something. But you know, small creators here. But that is an obscene amount of views for a video on my channel. I mean, really obscene. So I'm more than staggered and you know amazed by how popular that has been. The other top ten I did ten part pocket size games, uh, you know, is doing okay, hasn't quite reached that level of uh, uh, popularity, although it's only half, you know, half the amount of comments and, you know, views it will pick up. I mean, I only released it on June the 3rd, three days ago, so, and it's obviously not going to be as popular a topic, but other than that, Destiny's review's done well, uh, the last podcast did well, uh, I've seen shares of the Jagged Earth Spirit Island review, um, the Blitz bundle's not done as well as I would hope, you know, it's kind of run into stalemate, and maybe that's just because the games I was talking about weren't that interesting to people, but I think what I might do with the Blitz reviews is that I might go back to doing a video for each, but I think what I'll do is that I'll really try and condense these down, like really make them Blitz reviews, because a detail review is what really my focus should be on if I'm doing a proper review, like Destiny's. I mean, Destiny's took me 26 minutes to do that review. I could not shorten it any more than 26 minutes because it was just too much to talk about, and I've got six different categories to talk about as well as an overview and an introduction in that so my detailed reviews are going to be detailed and they're going to be intense so in contrast blitz reviews should not be anywhere near the length of time those take so i think blitz reviews are going to be basically a summary of the game an overview of what it is and kind of like a summary of my review and an end so i'm not going to be too stringent on the time limit but i'm certainly not going to go into too much detail with them i think i am going to really stick to the term blitz when it comes to how short those reviews are because then that way I can give some of these games more of their dues because I need to do a Ticket to Ride Europe 15th anniversary review at some point. Well, there's only so much I can talk about with that, so that could do a Blitz review. Uh, Danae, I could do a Blitz review. Um, Court of Miracles, I could do a Blitz review for. You know, there's a, a few games that I could do something like that. Even Vienna Connection I'm playing at the moment, I could do a Blitz review for, though maybe I'll save that for a detail. I don't know. We'll have to see, but you know, the most popular stuff on my channel is typically top 10s and some other things, So maybe, and the detail reviews. So the Blitz reviews have got to cover other games, but I can't spend too much time on them. But yeah, all in all, pretty good. So yeah, on the up and up, just trying to, feeling hot already, you know, just trying to cope with all this heat, which really doesn't suit me nicely. Let's take a drink. Lovely, lovely, lovely. Right. So before I get on to games I play, let's do the shout out first this time because I forget which order I do it in. So, <clears throat> sorry, uh, we'll do a channel shout out first. And this is criminal, actually, because I haven't done a shout out for this channel before. And I'm surprised I haven't because this lady talks to me a lot on Twitter. I've seen her on Facebook occasionally and Instagram occasionally, although it's hard for me to keep track who's who on there. But on Twitter, yeah, constantly responding to tweets and that. And yeah, I've never done a shout out. So it's like, I really should do that. This is a lovely lady called Angela. She's from Board Game Gran. And yes, Gran should be taken literally in this case. She is actually a Gran. 
she's got grandkids and all well and good. I have seen her like very frequently on Twitter and I've seen some of her video content and I've seen this like beautiful looking page, these thumbnails with this like cartoony TV outlook, you know, these look very good professional, uh, you know, things. I've seen lots of people dry, you know, similar looks and they all look professional as well. And this is no different. And uh, I am staggered that this is only 659 subscribers. In f you know, I cannot believe it. And I'm one of them. So there's a lot of effort on this channel. I mean, look at this. This this banner is lovely. Nice, pretty. It's got all the information. She's got YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. So uh, take it from me. Managing multiple social media channels is really difficult for a blogger to do and in the time. You know, 64 videos, so not like tons of videos out there, but there's some good stuff here. I mean, she goes into, you know, some unboxings, why I've acquired stuff. Hello, I do the latter on that one. Uh, new games in, uh, the and uh, some various reviews now and again, where she even brings the kids in to do this. We've got like the Color Monster, never heard of the game, but I mean, it's for, you know, she gets the kids to join in while she narrates over the top. Various episodes where she talks about what game she's bought. So what have we got there? I've lost, can't quite see it from the uh, picture. But but then there's some other really interesting stuff here. Like Lost Ruins of Arnak board game upgrade tips. You know, and like board game figure storage tip for tapestry. You know, there's a lot of people who play tapestry. Don't you want to know how the story of figures and remember where they go? There's a, you know, there's some more obscure games here. But I mean, Tiny Epic Quest, uh, game item repaint. So there's a few like, Kind of like pimp my game upgrades and guides and tips. That's got to be useful for somebody out there. But as I watch these, there's some good stuff on the edit. I mean, yeah, it's not 4K camera and it's not studio audio setup here. I mean, like I say, we can't all be large creators here, thank you, with a budget and a studio and tons of people just shouting your name out over Twitter. But, you know, there's some good work here. There's a lot of effort that goes into this. And considering I see a lot of large creators who are basically just switch the camera on and talk, hmm. Okay, you know, I kind of think that this kind of effort deserves more than 659 subscribers. You know, I honestly, I, th I think it's criminal. This deserves a lot more love. So hashtag support small creators. Give Board Game Grand a look. She's very friendly. She's very nice. She's on Twitter a lot. Uh, so, you know, you tweet her on there. She will respond. She's already been responding to quite a few uh, posts that me and the nerd shelves have been talking about recently. Uh, but yeah, there's some nice stuff here. It's a very nice, cute channel and definitely more deserving of some views and some attention, particularly as I can see a ton of effort is going into here. And from somebody who I don't think is that, you know, computer literate or that, you know, technically minded um, from my guess. I mean, I could be completely wrong on that. But, you know, just somebody who's just putting in an effort to talk passionately about games in various ways. I mean, there was a Canvas Kickstarter unboxing, you know, Board Game Acquisitions Month. So there's quite a few big ones there, like Fossilus and that. Honey Buzz, uh, April Acquisitions, uh, Takinoko Giant Chibis. Uh, I've got that in the other room. So I, I remember she was very keen to get that. So <laughs> I hope she enjoys it. But yeah, there's a few really nice things here and I like the color coding with the TV so you can tell different series from each other that's a very nice touch so I know that blue is this pink is that it appeals to a family nature honestly give this channel more of a look board game grand so hello Angela hope you're doing well all right let's talk about some games that I've played and two out of three of these are going to be positive so let's start off with a positive in fact let's go positive positive and then go for negative so let's start off with fort first Fort is a little card game that I've bought. It's from Later Games, and who who designed it? Hang on, I need to... Here we go. Uh, Grant Rodiak. I can't sort of pronounce that word there. But 
it's the same company who put out uh, uh what do you go root so root i'm indifferent on it's fine i don't mind it i don't think it's the best game ever mechanically but you know the app is fantastic and the art is okay it's not necessarily my style but the problem the main problem i have with root is i don't want to teach four separate games every time i teach it to new players and that's just a pain when you have to do that so that's just a me thing but the the fort this using the same artwork actually suits this game which is basically about building a fort with kids so think you're a typical uh like 50 60 style kitty uh kitty sitcom or so where you know a bunch of school kids are building forts and having wars with each other you know i mean you're not actually fighting in this but what you basically do is that you grow your circle of friends with cards and collect pizza and toys and build the coolest fort now the fort is kind of a tacked on bit here. It's basically a track. You level up the track, it allows you to do more stuff. But where this game comes into its own is the card play system. I mean, this is a pretty cheap game, and yet it gives you some, <clears throat> some very good cards with, you know, artwork that actually fits this theme, dual layered player boards. And I'm not joking here. These, uh, Oh, that's a score track. That's not a good example. But I mean, yeah, you get these little hexagon wood pieces for pizza and toys. These boards are dual layered. So, you know, really nice production quality for a game that costs me less than 20 quid. It probably costs you 25 quid max for this. And it comes in a small box, not tiny, so it wouldn't fit on my other list, but a nice small box, portable. And I played it the other week and I think it's really good. I don't know if I'm going to think it's quite Seal of Excellence level, but it's definitely an endorsement here. Uh, sorry, distinction. I'm getting mixed up with Dice Tower. But yeah, it's definitely worth a Seal of Endorsement. This card game has you, like, uh, you play the card, and you there's a deck builder. So it's a mini deck builder. You play the card from your hand, and it has to be one card. You can only play one card, and you do a public action and or a private action on there. And you can boost it with cards based on the suit. So this uh, card here has a skateboard in the top left. So therefore, you can boost it with other cards that have a skateboard. It's suits, basically. And, you know, in this case, you're able to put stuff in your backpack equal to the number of skateboard icons. Okay, pretty standard, simple abilities. And you get a cool reference uh, guide in order to show you all the iconography, which is actually a really good reference card. And everybody gets one. So, yeah, kudos on that one. But the idea with this is that... You know, players can follow the actions you do by discarding cards of the same suit and then doing a kind of lesser version of the action because they can't, they can't boost the action throughout. But you can kind of get stuff done by not only doing your own action, but also following what the opponents do. But if you discard cards to follow the opponent, you don't have many cards on your turn. But that not, might not be a bad thing because the one uh, crutch with... Sorry, crutch? No, what am I thinking of? Unique selling point with this, which I think is really cool is the cards you don't use in your hand go in front of you into the yard. And the yard is basically a place where for at least another round, other players, when you have to recruit a card on your turn as a mandragee thing, it can come from a communal display or you can take it from someone else's yard, including your own. It's like, okay, interesting. So somebody plays a card, does their action, then discards a, uh, you know, Dash and Tiny, uh, the kid names are all very like, <laughs> like comical versions like that. And, you know, you look at their thing, you go, that card would be quite useful in my deck. You know what, when I recruit, I'm going to take one of your cards. It's not vindictive, it's not evil. You know there's a potential someone might take your card. They're not doing it because, oh, I'm going to screw you over. They're doing it because they fancy the card. And we played it four players, and I thought it was going to be a chaotic mess with that, but it's not. 
you know, when every player's got one, maybe two cards out in front of them in the yard, it's not likely that everybody's going to want your cards. So they might still go to the communal park to get a card. Or they may just draw from the deck if they don't like any of them. So it's not like you'll be left with a deck of only two cards unless people are being really evil to you. And even then, that's kind of going against the spirit of the game, I think, in that point. But you can do other things like uh, have cards in reserve and a lookout so you can play them later. You can put stuff in storage in a backpack, which powers up certain other things. There's only so many ways to score points in the game, which is kind of the worry I have. I'm not sure how much replay value this has if you were to like constantly play it. But I just like this card mechanism. I think the card mechanism is solid. It's a nice, simple deck builder. Didn't take us more than an hour with teaching with four players, which I thought was pretty impressive. You know, I mean, maybe an hour and a quarter tops, but that's as much as it was for four of us. And that's including the odd slow player in there. So this could be wrapped up pretty quickly if you have less players. I was I was genuinely quite impressed. I need to give it more plays, see how that replay value concern holds up. But uh, yeah, I was genuinely quite impressed with four. I wanted to get this played because I was curious as to... I need to do my top 10 of 2020 retrospective list soon before I do my top 100 again. And 4 is the last 2020 game on my list to get played before I come up with a revised list. And uh, this is a potential contender to go on the list. So we'll see how it does after a few more plays. All right. Let's keep going with the whole positive thing and go on to Vienna Connection. Now, I'm only going to give a first impressions here because I have just played the second scenario of the game. And I'm probably going to play the third one after I'm done with this podcast editing. But, you know, there's four scenarios. And this is uh, for Magnasi, Trevacek, as well as a bunch of other uh, Polish people. I can't begin to pronounce half of these names, but I do apologize. But Vienna Connection is essentially a pseudo sequel to uh, the detective um, investigation system as they call it you know so uh, you won't be able to see it on the camera probably but that big detective game that I've been lauding for ages is you know one of the best de heavy deduction games that there is where it really gets the theme down and really makes you think about all this information this is essentially the same kind of thing except it's set in a 1970s cold war eastern europe setting so Prague uh, you know yeah was it Prague, West Germany, uh, Czechoslovakia, Yugoslavia, you know, that kind of um, that kind of setting. And this one basically has you play through a four scenario campaign where you do mission after mission using the Antares database thing in order to look up files and solve little puzzles and ciphers. And I'm not going to spoil anything about the plot per se, but basically if you have played Detective, you've kind of played this game. It's pretty much identical in how it works with some tweaks here and there though. The main one being the little puzzle aspects. With this one, because it's set around an espionage setting, there's little puzzle-like uh, things on the Antares thing that you have to solve, which basically means that when a card comes up, you get fragments of a puzzle, like a kind of hangman word-style thing, and basically you piece it together and try to guess what the word is. But the word will be something that's relevant in the game. So it's not like you've got to guess something completely out of the ordinary. And considering this thing is set in Eastern Europe, you will have to guess some words that are in that language or that are from there. So it's not un it's not unlikely that you will have... What's the best way to phrase this? Uh, you know, For example, you could have a, a Polish name as something you need to figure out. Well, the Polish don't spell their words exactly how the English would, so you have to bear that in mind. But the information is there in what you gather. It's not like you've got to conjure it out of thin air. So you've just got to be really, like, attention to detail is high here. But um, that, that's that's cool fun as well. But the thing I really like is the little cipher puzzles you get. Um, I don't want to 
spoil too much. Well, maybe I could flash this in front of nah, actually, Well, I'm not gonna not gonna spoil anything. But basically, you get little ciphers, and with the with these little ciphers, you basically decode messages on some of the cards. It's a little gimmick in a sense and there's some number puzzles as well like figure out the numbers in the sequence so you can look at which file you need to do but I like the little dis uh, code cipher ones you get given a little card with the the code formula thing on it like you see in those movies and you basically have to go right let's see decode 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 look at this or do this or whatever and there's some clever little things in there but it just really gets you immersed in that theme this is a very immersive uh, thematic story now um is it you know, pretty much detective with a little bit on it. Essentially, although I would say the Antares system is a little bit more polished here, uh, there's only so much you have to do on the system, and it so far has worked fine for me. I've heard of some people having issues, but I think you're always going to get issues from some people when it comes to uh, uh, technology working in games. But personally, I've not really had any issues with it. And it's kind of do what it is. You go through the cards, you follow leads, you get all this information, and my God, you get a lot of information. I mean, wow. Sherlock Holmes consulting detective, eat your heart out. It's a, uh, you've got a whole like pad of files here, which are A4 sheets of paper with all this information on it. It could be newspaper cuttings, uh, you know, personnel files and that, all done in the style of what this uh, setting is. There's a lot of information to take in and you need to be good at taking notes because a lot of the stuff is relevant. In fact, to be fair, I'm playing this solo. And you do weirdly get some extra time to do the scenarios in solo. I'm not sure why that is, because it's not like it takes any longer when you've got more players. I think it's more of a balancing act because it's harder to take in all this information on your own than it is with multiple people. But yeah, I really enjoy this one. So far, this has been really good. The story is a little hard to follow in places, uh, especially for me, who's kind of not skimming through it, but I'm not spending three hours writing down every possible note and doing massive plot diagrams over the wall and stuff, you know, that's more for if you play this multiplayer. Me, I'm trying to jot down bullet point notes, have the stuff in front of me and try and gauge what's going on in my head just so that I've got a rough idea. And that's working for me so far. Will this like blow up in my face when I get to the end of campaign um, scenario four? Who knows? But so far, I'm really enjoying this. I think this is another solid entry to uh, Detective. Um, I think uh, it's standalone, so you don't need to have uh, Detective in order to play this. This is on its own. It's definitely got an involved plot. I mean, if you're into the whole... Uh, I mean, try to think. Um, best way to describe it without doing spoilers, but... Have you ever watched those movies like the sort of old James Bond stuff or a few spy movies where you see like transcripts uh, from like written telegraph transcripts and it'll say like, uh, um, I think I don't want to spoil any names here, but, uh, you know, Agent Portal, it was Operation Portal in effect stop, you know, uh, you know, you know, Portal en route, uh, traffic, Portal en route, Dice Tower obtained, Gift obtained, you know, uh, you know, and stuff like that, and, you know, like, Sparrow, you know, en route uh, to the house that Jack built. I don't know, I'm, I'm doing a very poor job of trying to explain it, but you get what I mean. It's those kind of transcripts where everything's in code, everything's a code word or a code name, and you're trying to piece together, well, who is who? Who's this code? Who's this code relate to and stuff? It's it's really, really solid so far, actually. This is one of the, I mean, I, I'm liking this more than the original detective campaign at the moment. Some of that is also because I don't think you, it's easy to fail this one. 
I mean, I don't know. I'd have to like go back and go through the app and deliberately make wrong decisions and that. But it seems like you get through a lot of the deck, like 90% of the deck you'll go through in one play and then you'll make some decisions, some branching choices. And unless you do really badly or you can't figure anything out, you should be able to pass every scenario without too much trouble. It's just a case of what stuff you unlock. You get like branching endings, like different endings, depending on what you found, which is really cool. So maybe this is a bit on the easier side to succeed. I mean, this, I have yet come, I haven't come across a scenario where I've had to repeat the scenario because I did really bad, like you sometimes have to do in Detective, which is a good thing. I think that's a lot better. So people might argue, well, hang on, does that re remove some of the tension? I don't know. We'll see what happens when I get to the end of the campaign and see whether my previous decisions have had an effect. But yeah, so far, so good. Really cool. I look forward to playing the third one if, I, if my head can stand it after this. And then I'll get through the fourth and I'll do a review on it because they did send me a free copy. So I don't know if it'll be a blitz one or a detail one. I mean, it's kind of hard to do a detail review. I suppose I could do a detail review for this one, even though I can't spoil anything. So uh, it might be a short detail review, but yeah, I could go through all the categories. So we'll see. Yeah, I'll definitely do something on Vienna Connection. I just hope I'm not too late to the party because I know some people have already spent like the weekend going through the entire game. Anyway, moving on to less positive. Red Rising. Sorry, Stonemaier. Uh, yeah, no. Um, I have played Red Rising a few times now, and it's, this is kind of like an upgraded version of what Fantasy Realms is, the one that's on the Spiel uh, nominee. And it's basically a card game where you are collecting all these different cards of different colors and suits, and what happens is you, you place them on locations to trigger the card effect, and then you draw a card from a different location to trigger the locations effect. And it's based on a book series called Red Rising. I have no idea what this book series is about. I do not care what this series is about because, frankly, the theme does not come through in the game whatsoever. Literally, the only bit of theme you'll get from this is whether when something says uh, gets you, you know, Naro gets eight points if paired up with Nero or something. You know, you might have read the books and go, oh, yeah, it's because that's husband, that's, you know, father and son and they'll be fine. It's like, well, yeah, but that really does not come through in this game. So you could not care less if you're a casual player. You know, it's got some very good artwork and it is well produced, but here's where the positives kind of stop. There's a lot of problems I have with this. Firstly, the whole thing of using all these different color suits is an absolute nightmare. I like the fact that they've at least written the name of the color on each card, but you've got copper and brown in there. You've got gray and white, I think. You've got... Uh, gold and yellow. It's just like, wow. I mean, they've got so many suits that they just blend together far too much. And then I mentioned the location effects. Okay, cool. What are these location effects? Level up a track, gain a token, which is basically just points for each token, or put a cube on a spot and you get points for each cube. That is your, that is your location effects. And one is get you a start player token, which triggers a player power. That's it. Wow. I mean, how utterly dry could you get? I mean, all of them are basically just tracks. And you try to make it slightly different. Like, oh, when you move up this track, you get so many points for how far you're up on the track. Well, now you get helium and each helium's worth three points. Well, why don't you just have a helium track then? What's the point in having helium tokens? It's just another track. So dry. But that's not my biggest issue. I mean, I do like the combo playing with this. You try to create combos. There's a scoring opportunities at the bottom of each card where if you meet the condition, you can get more points and each card is worth a ton of points. Although the point scaling is like ridiculous. I mean, some are zero to nine and 20, some 40. It's like, seriously, the point spread is ridiculous on some of these cards. But 
you know, you're making that decision of, or oh, do I hang on to this card or do I play it for the ability and hope I can draw it back later? You know, th there's some cool mechanical parts to this. But this is one of the most user-unfriendly card games I've ever played. You have got these cards with not only the confusing colors, but also you've got a third of the card at max, probably even a quarter of the card actually, that is taken up with the two separate abilities the card has. The deploy ability and the end of game scoring ability. All of these are white text on whatever color it happens to be. So the color banner could be one that really white text does not show on very well at all. And then the bit below it is the artwork of the picture. So it varies as to how well the white text shows up on there. But you've got all these cards on the table, about six or seven of them in your hand, and all the ones that are buried under other cards. You cannot read all these abilities from a distance. It is impossible. You've got to spend ages reading all these abilities. And there's no way you're going to memorize all these. There's so many different ones in there that you're not going to know that, you know, Antonio is banished one of their cards by choosing an opponent or something. I'm not going to recognize that unless I've played the game like 50 times. But you've got to then, you know, read all this text. And these aren't exactly easy abilities. I mean, some of these here have got like, you know, mass like the entire banner is squeezing the ability in there and you're supposed to look at the table and read all of these and the one in your hand and if let's say you've got a card that says banish a card on a particular location and you could pick any card that means you're probably reading the cards underneath the top card so that you can find out which one's worth banishing it's just oh my god this thing drags to a halt and grinds its gear so badly people are aping like crazy trying to read all these abilities the fact that you've got to read all these abilities means that the game just slowly goes on. I mean, this takes way too long. I've seen games easily hit the 60 to 90 minute mark for this, and it's just, that is too long for what game this is. You know, it, ah, and you just sit there sort of waiting, and it's luck of the draw as to whether you, you could start off with the perfect hand, and then the rest of the game is boring because you think, well, I've already got a really good hand. These pair up nicely and they get me a bunch of points. What should I do then? And it's like, I don't know, I guess I'll just play and replay this one. But then you could end up like I did in my first game with a hand that just doesn't gel at all. All abilities are rubbish and nothing's good. While everybody else is getting rich, get richer type thing, you're lagging behind because none of your stuff combos with anything on the board. It's like, yay, I, if I, there was a lot of gold cards I could do well, but oh look, there's no gold cards anywhere. What am I supposed to do? It's just, ah, there's a... A lot of problems I've got with this game. The collector's edition I hear is like really bad in terms of some of its usability from the production it has. It's just very dry. The IP is barely represented. I, I mean, why waste money on this IP? Why not just make this a generic sci-fi game? Save yourself a bit of money and you know spend more of it on improving some of the graphic design maybe. But I just really didn't get on with this. And it says one to six players. That's ridiculous. I'm sorry, we played this with four and I wanted to kill myself by the end of the game. It was like taking so long. I will not play this with more than three players ever again. I mean, I, I don't mind playing it. You know, I give it like a five out of 10 at the moment. I really thought it was kind of average, but it just, ah, it infuriated me by how much of a chore it was to do this. I mean, how are you going to play this with new people? Never. This is a game you have to play with the exact same two people all the time. Because if you teach anyone new, they're going to have to read all the card abilities. They're not going to know what they're doing. And it's a waste of time they're being there. It's, ah, this has got so many usability issues that put me off wanting to play this one. So I never got a review copy of this one. I don't think I asked for it. And, you know, I decided to give this one a miss. 
And so somebody brought it to the, my friend brought it to the club. I played it and I've played it a couple of times more since with other people. And it's just like, you know what? No, I'm glad I skipped this. So honestly, I, I would like to try Fantasy Realms to see if that's better and quicker and easier to do. But a problem I have with these games is that of the fact that you just can't get new people into them. You know, they're, they're just too... They're too fiddly and a little too complex for new players to get into what should be an easy card game. And it just puts me off here. You know, family, 279 ranking. It's like, I would never call this one a family game by any means. You want kids to read all these abilities? No, never going to happen. So yeah, bit of a dud there for me. All right, let's quickly go through some news then. And more positive news for the most part. Fantasy Flight has taken a weird turn here. They basically decided to release the next Arkham Horror LCG expansion in a weird format. Well, I say weird. It's a good format, I think. Basically, what they used to do was that they released a deluxe expansion with player cards and two scenarios of a cycle, and then they released cycle packs. And this was fine unless you came late to the system and then couldn't get the cycle packs because they weren't in stock. I know quite a few people that are suffering from this problem from earlier cycles. So what they've decided to do going forward now, and I wonder if they're going to do this with other LCGs, is they've released basically two big boxes for every cycle. One of them is the player cards. So one of them will give you nothing but player cards. For those who don't care about the new scenario, like they've still got three, four cycles to get through, and I don't need a fifth, but I want the player cards to boost my card pool, you can just get the player cards. And then the uh, actual scenario, which will consist of all eight scenarios in the campaign will be a separate box set this is quite a cool idea actually it actually works out cheaper to buy these two than it does to buy the deluxe and the cycle packs because you've got to imagine how much those cycle packs cost the plastic packaging which is a waste of time because you just chuck it away anyway and the fact that uh, you have uh, what was it the postage charges obviously for getting a new pack every now and again there's a lot of money that goes into that this is a much cheaper way of doing it especially if you were to buy both at the same time you'd save yourself some money but i like this idea i mean will they go back and reprint some of the old ones in this format i think they should it might tick off a few people who've collected half a cycle and then have to spend all this money to get the other half. I mean, that is the problem. That I expect they won't be able to do it going back. They'll just have to reprint the cycle packs and people will just have to be on the ball as to getting them. But yeah, this format going forward, I'm all up for. Lord of the Rings LCG could have done with this. I think it would have benefited it as well. Uh, but yeah, I'd like to see this done in other LCGs. I don't think Marvel Champions would work though because that's got a very different type of setup. But yeah, this is pretty cool. I look forward to more Arkham LCG stuff anyway, but I think this format is going to be really, really cool. So good move, good move. All right, similar to LCGs, they also announced Marvel Champions, the Mad Titan Shadow. This is the third of their big box campaign settings. And of course, at some point, Thanos has to make an appearance. Good old Thanos with his, uh, you know, what are they called? They called Horsemen of the Apocalypse or they just called a... Uh, minions of the apocalypse i forget what they are in the uh i forget what they are in the uh, series like i say i haven't read the comic books but basically the people you recognize from the you know the, even the movies you know proxima midnight and corneus grave that uh, clave that kind of thing and of course the big bad himself who doesn't look overly powerful there one scheme to attack but i guess once he gets the infinity stones he becomes an absolute nut job he has got quite a lot of hit points as well 16 wow but I'm sure these Infinity Stones and the Gauntlet are going to make... Oh, I see, the Gauntlet already gives them plus one to each. So yeah, I think this Thanos is going to be pretty tonk. Yeah, so don't underestimate him. 
Now, my worry with this is, is as follows. I like the other expansions, you know, Rise of Red Skull and the Galaxy's Most Wanted. They give you some cool stuff and obviously give you more content. This is the same deal. I don't know how I feel about Adam Warlock and Spectrum being the two heroes in this, mainly because the only thing I know about Spectrum is from WandaVision. So I don't exactly know what I'm supposed to do with this, although the fact that they're actually making this pretty current is uh, impressive to say the least. But I know nothing about this Adam Warlock one. Everybody kept going on about like, I want to see Adam Warlock in the Guardians of the Galaxy films and stuff like that. It's like, who the hell is Adam Warlock? It's like, I don't know this guy. I, don't, I haven't read the comics, so this guy literally means nothing to me. I know it's been teased in the movies. Will we get it in the third movie? Maybe, I don't know. But I know nothing about this guy. It's going to be interesting to see how they play out. You know, these are not two heroes that I'm desperate for, but I will certainly give them a look and see how they do. But here's my problem with these expansions. They're too hard. These campaigns are too hard. The Rise of Red Skull was not a pushover. There was some hard stuff in there, particularly by the end. But I thought it was fairly balanced. The Galaxy's Most Wanted is ridiculously hard. That campaign is incredibly difficult to beat. Every scenario is like hard mode. And I dread to think how you build one deck to get through the whole lot. You've got to customize your deck for each scenario because there's no way you're going to get one deck to rule them all with this one. The stuff with the collector, oh my word, those two scenarios are infuriating. And then you get to, um, uh, what's this called? Uh, ah, what's this called? I've forgotten what he's called. Uh, ah, the big bad of Galaxy's Most Wanted. Now that's going to... Oh, Ronan. Yeah, Ronan the Destroyer or something. When you get to him, oh my word, does he beat you down like crazy. It's just, I, I will happily play those scenarios standalone, but I refuse to play Galaxy's Most Wanted as a campaign now. It's just too hard. How hard do you think this one is going to be? It's Thanos. It's the Infinity Stones. These guys, I think, are going to be ridiculously hard. You know, it'd be cool to go up against them, but yeah, I cannot see these people being easy to beat. And I'm just worried that it's just going to be the difficulty curve is just getting to the point now where it's just too hard. It really, I think, needs to be just there needs to be like an easy mode for this game. If you want standard to be hard and then hard to be uh, expert to be ridiculously hard, fine. I mean, I refuse to play this game in expert ever. You know, I won't even go up against the Rhino in expert mode. I'm sorry. It's just expert mode is just too much sometimes. But. You know, I wouldn't say no to an easy mode, you know, just like, you know, give yourself a little bit of a head start or maybe not have things punish you quite so badly. But yeah, these campaign ones were just very hard, but I'm looking forward to it. Like I say, it's Thanos, it's Infinity War and stuff. I'm definitely looking forward to it nonetheless. All right, moving on very quickly. Uh, Goats of Salt Marsh is a new campaign expansion for the D&D Adventure board game series. You know, Castle of Ravenloft and Legends of Drizzt, stuff like that. I've not actually played any of them myself. But I just wanted to sort of mention this, you know, they're coming out with a big box campaign expansion. Uh, you will need one of the core sets to play this, just any of them will do. And then it has a big campaign where it takes this Salt Marsh setting, which I'm guessing this this big deal uh, setting from the D&D RPG. I have not played the RPG in so long, so I wouldn't know. But, you know, if you're interested in this series, then you'll be glad to know this is coming with more content. But why does everything have to be a campaign now these days? It's getting ridiculous. Everything's got to be a campaign everything's got to be like oh when you buy this game you've got to commit you've got to give us all that precious time you have it's like we don't have all this precious time you know we're we're struggling to meet ends meet when it comes to our time management and now it's like oh big campaign now so you know if you're into this then fine you know you know fair play to you i'm i have not played the original so i'm not that desperate to uh play it but 
Certainly, if you have got any of those D&D board games, you'll be interested to know that more content is on the way. And if you know anything about Salt Marsh, then, well, you know, double, double whammy. You know, you're definitely going to like this. And then this is insulting. This is beyond insulting. Z-Man Games, in a collaboration with Aconite Books, are bringing you a book series called Pandemic Patient Zero. Or at least the first one's called Pandemic Patient Zero. So, Pandemic, as in the board game, with that same title, on a book written by Amanda Bridgman. I know nothing about books. I don't read books, so I have no idea who this author is, but... Apparently she's done some good sci-fi futuristic thrillers, but I don't know, authors in the chat, in the comments can tell me more. But this is, one, I think this is a waste of time. It's like, really? I'm not interested in a pandemic book series. You know, why are you spending time and money on this? I mean, this is, I've already said that pandemic has really got to sort of die a death now. All right, pandemic's a great game. It's a great series and it's done so much for the hobby. And I have a pandemic on my shelf and I've got the boards for the legacy series on my shelf. But for crying out loud, can we stop milking this cash cow? You have drained the others of this cow dry. It is shriveled up. It is a dry husk on the floor. And you're still trying to milk this poor cow. Wow, is that a dark image for you? But it's all right. It, just come on. Just give it a rest. Just be reprint some of the old stuff. You know, get it out to more people. Teach it at conventions. And do those, uh, what do you call it? The co-op uh, pandemic challenges or whatever they are. That I see the Essen and that. The ones where, like, different countries send in a team and they do the same game, but they approach it differently and that. Those are cool. I'm never going to do one. I mean, I'm not good enough at the game to warrant doing that sort of thing. But I think the competition itself is a fantastic idea and it's super popular. Do those. Keep doing that. But this book series, seriously, are we calling for that? But on top of this, do you look out the window? Do you read the news? Do you know what's going on at the moment? You know, something called a pandemic, COVID. Is this really what you want to do, guys? To release a book series about a pandemic in the middle of a pandemic? Well, at the end, technically. We're kind of getting on, well, and I suppose it depends what country you're from, but still. But, man... This just seems like really bad taste to be doing this. I mean, is anybody going to be reading this book series? This just feels a little bit too close to home. And September 21 is when the first one's going to be released. You know, a lot of people, I mean, will be fully vaxxed by them, but not everybody will. This just seems like such bad timing. Why are you, why are you doing this? <laughs> this just seems so unnecessary and just so bad. And, and on that note, there was a... Let me go back to Board Game Geek. I remember there was another game they came out with. Uh, I don't know if they've come out with it yet or they just announced it. But let's see if I can find them. And they got so many pandemics, it's ridiculous. But it wasn't rapid response. Uh, here we go. Um, yes, uh, Pandemic Hot Zone. It doesn't look like they've released it yet. So I think it's uh, coming out later this year. When this got announced, I was... I mean, some people were really against this. I mean, I can separate art from... This is the thing, I can separate art from reality. It's not like I'm getting offended that they're doing this. You know, it's like, okay, it's a book. I can read a book and separate it from what's going on in the real world. But I know a lot of people will find this a little bit too close to home, and that's why I would never personally, if I was in their shoes, even try something like this. But there we go, you got Pandemic Hot Zone Europe, which is another, like, co-op, you know, trying to stop a massive outburst that's happened in Europe. And, and it's got the Big Ben in the background of the UK. This was announced at the time when the UK was having a big 
outburst spread of COVID. I think this was like pre-second lockdown where things went out of control and we had to be put in a proper lockdown. We were effectively a hot zone of Europe. And then this got announced. Why? <laughs> this does not make any sense. It's like you're just... Your PR people need to be sacked. I'm sorry. This is just bad marketing. You know, I mean, give this series a rest for a start. You know, I mean, you should be just like keeping pandemic, like, you know, the old stuff on the platform, but releasing new stuff during a pandemic, it's like, this doesn't... Why? I don't get why. I would be... Can you do something other than Pandemic Z-Man? I'm sure you have other games that you can do other than something with the word pandemic bolted onto it. I mean... How many of these co-op games about stopping a pandemic can you possibly make? I don't know, but money, money, we want money. I don't know. I am not interested in this. I'm done with pandemic. I got pandemic Iberia and I'm happy with that. But just stop it, man. Stop it, stop it, stop it. I don't know. What do you guys say? Let me know in the comments, you know, give it civil, but... I mean, are you interested in this book series? Do you know what this author is? But do you think it's fine that they're releasing stuff like this during a pandemic? Or do you think that something like this book release is kind of like, okay, come on, that's a little bit close to home, a little bit like too soon for some people? I don't know. I'd like to know what your thoughts are on that one. But I just sort of looked at it and I just went, gunk, jaw dropped. Like, you cannot be serious that you're spending time and money on this. Right. Well, while I'm in a ranty mood, and what are we up to now? We're up to, oh, we're already up to 45 minutes. This will be a lengthy podcast, although I don't think I'll spend too much longer on this uh, mini rant. Um, this isn't a Patreon topic. Uh, I'll get back to those in following weeks. But uh, this just came to mind recently because people have been talking uh, a lot about certain games on the internet. But I don't get why Roll and Writes are so popular. And it's just like, people ask me about Roll and Write games, and I'm just not a fan. I don't like the roll and write genre. I think it, I mentioned it on the, the last video I did, the top 10 tiny games where I said it needs to die a slow, painful death. And I do think it, well, maybe not slow and painful, but it needs to die a death at some point. You know, and I know, I will say this right now, disclaimer, if you like this genre, good, good for you. Play these games, go buy them. I hope your whole collection is an entire like Kallax shelf for the roll and write games. And I hope they give you so much joy in playing that you can simply just agree to disagree with me on here. Because as long as you're having fun, I'm happy. It doesn't matter if you're an 18xx player and playing nothing but train games. If you're having fun, I'm cool with that. All right. This is just me, personal, subjective, you know, on roll and write. But this is just to sort of go into why I don't like them. And are there some roll and writes that I do like? Yes but they're very few and far between. For a, a genre that's been bloated to ridiculous levels, I've only got about, you know, people have said like, oh, what do you do your top 10 roll and writes? I don't even think I could do a top five. I can barely do a top three. I'm going to give you a three later, but I can barely do three. I just think roll and writes, I'm for the most part, boring, really boring. And here we go. Let's have a look at top games here. So Ganshlon Clever and Twice as Clever. So that's pretty clever. So was this like, so, yeah, this got such a rage. You know, everybody was saying, oh, this game's amazing. Yeah, this is like so much fun. It's boring. It's literally just a like mathematical spreadsheet and you just basically roll dice, draft them, and then just fill up tracks. Woo. And you create combos, I guess, where things unlock and unlock other stuff. And it's just like, it's just a pad and paper with a few very basic dice, and yet this was suddenly like a massive thing. I have played the game. It's okay, but I mean, that's it. I played it a few times, and I'm kind of done with it. Yes, it's got a good app. I'll give it that. But 
honestly, I just didn't really care that much. And like twice as clever. So it's basically the same game, but slightly harder. Okay, whatever. Yeah, Railroad Inc. Railroad Inc. I don't get the love for this one. I mean, this one, again, is just another average thing. You basically just roll dice and, and you, you know, draw railroad tracks on a grid and join up bits. But the fact that you can get this in some ridiculous, uh, like, deluxe set. Um, I wonder if it's, uh, have we got any re-implement? Lush green edition, shining yellow edition. So it's just different editions. But, you know, you can buy Railroad Inc. in this massive box that gives you all these different things. I mean, I wonder if I can look it up while I'm talking about it. But the the Railroad Inc., and I suppose Ganshon Clever, although more Railroad Inc., uh, is it emphasizes one thing that I really hate about these, that there is zero player interaction. Like, there is no point for anybody to have, you know, multiple players in these games. These are solo games, the end. Because, you know, you can have six players playing these, and it makes no difference because you just roll a die and each of you does your own thing. So why on earth are we even playing this game together? Uh, what's another one? Uh, Welcome to a uh, similar deal. You know, is this the one? Yeah, here we go. I wonder if I can enlarge the picture for those watching it on YouTube. But yeah, this giant box of railroad ink you can get, which has all these different sets in it that aren't that different. They're not that massively different from each other. I mean, granted, I haven't played them all, but when I look them up, it's like, okay, so it's just this with the same tweak, and it's this with another tweak. Okay, whatever. But the amount of money, $160 for a giant crate that you store on your shelves, and I know I've got some big crates like that, but for a rolling right? Really? That much money for a bunch of paper pads? Why is that worth that kind of money? I don't know. That just seems like crazy talk. But I mentioned Welcome To. Again, multiplayer solitaire. Somebody, we had a convention, I think HandyCon or something, where 60, they did a 60-player game of Welcome To. What's the point? What's the point? You don't do, you flip a card, I think, or something, or roll a die, I can't remember exactly how it works. I was bored to death after playing it. But you basically know what you've got to draw, and then you decide to fill out your pad. That's it. There's no player interaction whatsoever. So who cares that you had a 60-player game? It doesn't matter. 60 of you, 600 of you could have played the game. You have no interaction with the other 599 people. So what's the point? <laughs> what, is the, what is the point? I, it just gets mad. Roll through the ages. Uh, that was uh, another roll and write. And there's so many games here. See, oh, 546 games has apparently got the mechanism roll and write. And it's just... You see a roll and write come out every five minutes, and it just seems like the epitome of lazy design for some publishers, because it's like, how can we milk this IP a bit further? Because the board game's popular, and we want to, you know, should we work on a sequel to it? Nah, that would involve a lot of work, a lot of different development, and maybe people aren't after that. All right, well, should we maybe come up with an expansion for a game and introduce more content to it? It's like, nah, again, we got to, like, think of it, does it balance with the old one? That's going to take time and that. Okay, well, how about a roll and write? Oh, yeah, cool, we can knock this one up in 10 minutes. It's like, that's what it feels like to me. We got Alhambra roll and write. You had a nation's, you know, it's like what the dice games. You remember when we had this where you had Ticket to Ride the dice game, Nations the dice game, Castles of Burgundy the dice game, X the dice game. 99% of the time the dice game is worse than the original game. Bang the dice game is one of those one percenters there where Bang the dice game absolutely invalidates the original. Fair play, it's in my collection on my shelf. But I'm not going to play Nations the dice game. I'm going to play Nations. 
I'm not going to play Roll Through the Ages. I'm going to play Through the Ages. I'm not playing these weird dice game versions. You know, Alhambra the dice game. Was there a thing like that? I don't know. Ticket to Ride the dice game, which was apparently horrible. I've not played it, but nobody says anything good about Ticket to Ride the dice game. And it's this is the same sort of thing. It's like now everything's like, you know, you know, game you've heard of, roll and write. And it's baseball highlights, the dice game, roll, you know, a roll and write. Um, trying to see if there's any more on there, but uh, Castles and Burgundy, the dice game we'd already mentioned, Blocus roll and write effectively, Boomerang, what is that game? I've not heard of it. I'm trying to find it. There's just so many of them. I've not even heard of half of these, but it's doing the dice game as well as, dice game is kind of roll and write as well, I suppose, in these. Clever Cubed. Oh, great. So we've got another Ganshon Clever, like, mockery. It's like, fine. Uh, but I'm trying to think what else uh, we had. Corinth played it. Fairly dull. Nothing much to it. It's okay. It does what it says on the tin. But once I played it, I was kind of done with it. Uh, and now, yeah, now we're getting all these Kickstarters come out with all sorts of different, like, rolling rights bolted onto the campaign. Dinosaur Island. It's like, we've got a sequel to Dinosaur Island. It's like, okay, Dinosaur World. And this looks all right. Yeah, we'll give it a go. And sometimes they do the two-player spin-offs, which are fine. But again, they never seem to measure up to the original. But I don't mind a two-player version. That's cool. But then it's like, oh, as well as Dinosaur World, we got Dinosaur Roll and Write. Oh, my God. And they call it Roar and Write. And not only do these have uninspired covers with, like, dice flying at your face, but they always have these terrible puns. And apparently these puns are so funny to people. I mean, I've seen some creators lately putting out video content on their, some Roll and Writes, and they just use these puns to go with it. And it's like, I'm sorry, it's not funny. It's not funny. Seriously, stop it. But now we got... Dice Hospital Emergency Roll, Roll and Write. You have a perfectly fine dice placement game. We don't need a Roll and Write version of it. You know, is there, there going to be a terraforming Mars Roll and Write? There you go, Dinosaur Island, Roar and Write. Oh, you're so funny. Uh, Doodle City, again, played it, wasn't a fan. It's pretty boring. Uh, Dungeon Academy, I don't even know what that is. A lot of these are German, Emporous Roll and Sail. Okay, Escape, Roll and Write... Escape really need a roll and write? Why? What was wrong with the original? Uh, I think Fleet the dice game never played that one, but the theme doesn't attract me. Uh, Forenza the dice game didn't that just recently get released, uh, reprinted as a board game? Uh, ah, seriously, this is just getting on my nerves. And there are a couple of good ones that I have seen here, and there are some that I wouldn't mind trying. Like for example, uh, you know, I want to try uh, what's it called? Let's make a bus route uh, from. Uh, Sashi and Sashi, because I think if anybody can make these interesting, it'll be Sashi and Sashi. But I hear good things about that one, and I would like to try it. As for something like, say, Hadrian's... Oh, there we go. Well, that's let's make a bus route the dicecape. It's like, well, there's already let's make a bus route, which is already rolled and right. I mean, how much more streamlined can you possibly make the game? But I'd like to try this one. I'd like to try it, because I reckon that they could do a good job. And people have talked... Highly of it, although, to, and this one apparently has a bit more interaction with other players because it's a communal map. Okay, cool. So we'll see. So yeah, I mean, I'm I'm ranting and raving, and I know if you love this genre, you're going to think Luke, you're talking rubbish. But as I say, this is just coming from my perspective. I I don't find them entertaining. I find them very rinse repeat on how you play them. Like there's so little replay value in them. Uh, you're paying a high price for what is effectively just pads. I mean, Hadrian's Wall, this is the one that's getting a lot of hotness on the bat. I've got no interest, really, in playing this one. 
for two reasons, actually. Firstly, I don't like the idea of paying £40 for a bunch of pads and a pen or whatever. It's like, seriously, £40? I can buy a board game with actual 3D components, you know, and stuff for £40, but I've got to pay £40 for these. And when you look at these pads, oh my word, these pads are so detailed. Look, that is so complicated. That is so, like, all over the shop. And maybe it's easier when you get to the rules but i'm sorry if i threw that in front of you you would be like running for the hills like what on earth am i supposed to cross off and where i'll see i want to see hadrian's wall the board game not the roll and write a uh, roman roll was another one where it tried to do a like a, a sort of fairly not heavy but uh you know a, a sort of mid-weight euro uh with you know a lot of different branching paths as a roll and write and I wasn't a big fan of that one either. I mean, it you know, you did some polyomino stuff and it's like, well, can't we have a board game with polyomino tiles rather than this roll and write thing? And then you're just crossing off these little territories to say you've conquered them, you know. I mean, this is another thing I don't like with roll and writes. The, well, let me, let me sort of summarize it. I mentioned rinse, repeat. They're very rinse, repeat. They don't have a lot of, uh, you know, unique characteristics about them. Uh, there's no distinction between players. There's no player asymmetry or anything like that. And once you're done with the game, you barely feel different from anybody else. And also, there's no real distinction between a roll and write and another roll and write. They all feel the same. Roll a die or flip a card and write something on a pad. That's what they are. Um, they're high prices for what I think is just a bunch of paper and pencils. It's like, and some dice. Seriously, £40 for Hadrian's Wall? That just seems like a lot of money. You know, yes, the artwork might be good and it might be expensive printing that, but it's still just a pad and paper. Um, uh, I've already compared it to dice games. I'm just looking at my notes here. And, uh, and multiplayer solitaire. The fact that when you're playing these games, there's little to no player interaction whatsoever. I could be playing... I mean, if, they, if you are a solo player and you love the roll and write genre, then fine, actually, I could see that. I could see that you're a solo player and you want something you can take on your travels, you want something nice and simple, and so you think, you know what, roll and writes are good for me because they're small, they can be, well, they're not usually tiny, but they're small, put some in a bag and I can take them on my travels and all I've got to do is sit on the plane journey and just sort of go, you know, just chuck a dice, roll, roll, you know, flip, write, whatever. I'm getting them mixed up. but. Yeah, you know, I could see that. Although, if you bought this railroading deluxe box, that might be changing a little bit. But yeah, I just, I can't see why you would play these as multiplayer games. It's just, there are better filler multiplayer games that have more. Even Splendor. I like playing Splendor. I'm, is there going to be a Splendor roll and write at some point? I hope not. But Splendor, dirt symbol. I get it done in 30 minutes and I actually care what the other players are doing because you've got to snipe out the cards or think about what they can buy and drain the chips and that. There's all that in the filler. Whereas if I played like Splendor Roll and Write, I bet it wouldn't matter what I, the other players were doing. It, argh, these infuriate me. And like I say, this is a personal thing, but I'm really done with this. I was done with this genre a long time ago. Now I think it's just been milked and just seen as an easy way to go, look, we've made another game. X, Roll and Write. You know, we shall now have a detective Roll and Write. Well, now, I mean, if I see an Arkham Horror Roll and Write game, I will flip my lid so fast you will not believe it. It's like, seriously, just stop. Just hold up on these things. Stop using it as an easy cash cow. But that being said, to balance this out with some positivity, because I am ranting and raving a bit here, and hopefully it's entertaining to you, even if you love Roll and Writes. But... I'm at least going to talk over my three. And as I say, I cannot do a top 10 rolling rights because I have not found 
five roll and writes that I like. And even when I say top three, my third one is fine, but I don't want to play it that often. And even my second one's that sort of thing. There's only one that I've really got behind and I don't even have a copy of it anymore because I lost it, which means, and I just haven't been bothered to buy it again. But I'm going to very briefly talk about my top three roll and writes. So I mentioned this on my uh, top 10 tiny list recently at number 10, silver and gold. Silver and gold, half decent, this one. I mean, this one I, I admire more for its design rather than uh, the game being overly fun. But I like the idea that this one has dry erase cards. And so with the dry erase pens that are supplied, you cross off these cards and then you can just wipe them off at the end of the game. It's like, that's a neat concept. You're actually paying for something other than just a bunch of paper pads. And it's in a small box. It's tiny, so you can carry it around. It was not expensive. And it's basically a very simple game where you flip a card, it has a shape, you cross them out on your islands, and you're trying to fill up the islands. And they score points for sets. That's basically it. You know, very straightforward game. Uh, but the thing is, is that this one I don't want to play over and over again, because it's like, I mean, seriously, it's just a flipping right. But it's very quick. You can get through a game of this very fast. You know, four rounds, and you're done and dusted, and the game's over. Good, so it doesn't drag out like crazy. But the rest of my family really latched onto this one. You know, my parents and my brother played it and they thought, this is really cool. Can we have a copy? It's like, fine, bought them a copy. And then we also bought a copy for my brother up north who also has liked it. So, okay, it's done more with my family than it has done for me, but I would still give it props that it has done that. You know, I admire, it's like uh, Ash from Alien or something. It's like, it's like silver and gold. I admire its purity. <laughs> it's just like, you know, it's, it's, it's that kind of thing with this. get the uh, coffee in there all right and then secondly this one and this one's kind of more for the design although this one i do get a bit of a you know joy out of this one and this is imperial settlers roll and write this is the portal one and yes this is kind of ironic going considering it's basically the oh let's take an ip and then make a roll and write out of it and i do admit it is like that and i wish it wasn't but uh this one i actually don't mind and now granted i don't play this multiplayer this one doesn't work as a multiplayer game because some of the dice you just won't necessarily, you know, it's again, multiplayer solitaire, but an engine builder is a roll and write. Okay, cool. It's nice, cute production in that, but I play this for the solo mode. The solo mode in this is actually pretty cool. You know, yes, it's a generic engine builder. You roll dice, you get the resources, and like I say, you don't get much in the way of resource management with these roll and writes, I must admit. But you can fill out fields, you can fill out these tracks in order to get points, but, and that all sounds pretty basic, but this is where I really like it. The car, uh, sorry, the pads that you get in this. These pads, in the solo mode, there's about 48 different uh, settings, each with six buildings on them, and you can build some or all or none of them in the game. You know, you can do what you like in the game. You can build some and repeat to make them even better. And then these buildings you put on your other tracks in order to level those up. But what's really cool is they're all unique. This one on the screen here has some forests and some like nasty barbarian areas. That's one sheet. Next sheet will be completely different. It could be about water-based islands, or it could be like this one, farm and settlers and architects. The next one could be water caves and boats and stuff. And the next one could be, you know, hellish volcano area, that type of thing. It's like, there's a lot of variety in this. So every time I play a game of this, I end up with a different setting. It's not just the same thing on rinse repeat. You know, different tactics will come just because I'm using a different set of buildings. And I could play the same set of buildings again, 
but try something different because you can't do everything in the game. It's like, this is one of the better replay values I've seen for a roll and write game. And I think that's a cool concept. And I think you can get more scenarios off the portal website even, or even download all the pads again. So you can like rinse and repeat through them. This was pretty neat. You know, I admire the solo mode in this more than the multiplayer, but as a solo game, I think this is one of the better roll and writes out there. Probably my favorite in terms of solo play. But now here's the one that I put my stock behind and say, look, this is the best roll and write that I've ever played. And here are my reasons why. Sadly, I've lost my copy, but you need to pick up an underrated game called Harvest Dice. And as I say, seven out of 10, I don't think roll and writes are fantastic, you know, so you know, my highest is a seven. That already says it all. But Harvest Dice is the roll and write that I picked up for like nine quid at uh, UK Games Expo from Grey Fox. And it's definitely the roll and write I recommend everybody has if they're a massive roll and write fan. If you like roll and write games and Harvest Dice isn't in your collection, I want to know why, because I can't comprehend that. But Harvest Dice is this very cute, again, little well-produced, very cheap game. I mean, I bought it for nine quid when I bought it. I probably You can probably buy it for less than 15 easily. And it's a, a pad, you know, simple little pad. But the crux with this is that you're building a vegetable patch. And you roll these different colored dice that correspond to three different vegetables and you draft them with the other players. And then the ones that you take, the color dictates what type of veg it is and the number dictates what column you can put it in. But the vegetables have to be grouped. So when you put a tomato down in one space, the tomatoes have then got to sp like go from there. You can't have a tomato in one corner and a tomato in the opposite corner. So, and as you put in the spaces, you're running out of options. So as the game goes on, your options dwindle and it's like, oh, right, I can't actually use those dice very well. At the end of a round, the die that's left over um, ups the value of the vegetable. So when you score at the end of the game, cabbages could be worth a lot more than tomatoes because the green die was left over at the end. Love that mechanic in games. It's one of my favorite mechanics. Pioneer Days does it and a few others. It's in this one as well. And if you can't use the die, you feed it to your pig called Pip. <laughs> who eats the pips off the dice you know very cute very cute little piggy wiggy and yeah i like pigs but the uh you know you fill in those bits and you can get some extra abilities when you fill up entire rows to allow you to change the value or the color of dice there's a basic mode and an advanced mode do not play the basic mode because frankly the advanced mode is not that advanced <laughs> it's like basic is like stupidly baby simple and advanced is what the game really is but yeah, this is a really neat little roll and write game. But here's why this one gets my vote. I mean, yeah, the rules to it are nice, and I like the idea that your decisions really dwindle in this. But you remember when I said that I don't like the fact that all these games are multiplayer solitaire? This one is not multiplayer solitaire. You care about what the opponents are doing, and it's easy to see what they're doing because you've only got this small pad to look at. But you're drafting dice from a communal pool, and you can easily see, not even just the person to your left, but the other players as well, but particularly the person to your left, uh, when you're thinking, right, I could draft two tomato dice there. One of them's a four and one of them's a two because I've got a tomato in the three, for example. Which one should I take? Well, hang on. As I look at your board over there, I can see that you... You've got all your tomatoes in the early section, so you could use that two, but you couldn't use that four, so I can use either. So you know what? I'm going to take the two, so I can draw this tomato in the two spot. I'm fine, but you can't use the four, which means you've either got to feed it to your pig, which is not as lucrative as doing the other bits, although it still gets you some points and abilities, but you might have to do something else. You might have a die that's completely rubbish. So it's not so much hate drafting, but you can definitely see which dice you should take and which dice the opponents are likely to take. So you care about the other players. And that's what these roll and writes 
fail to do 99% of the time, probably even 99.9% of the time, given there's so many of them, you know, they just fail to introduce any kind of multiplayer care you know, or interaction. This one, however, does. And dice drafting is fun. The last die being left over is a cool mechanic. This one worked. This one just like, it sung to me and it worked. It did the job. So Harvest Dice is easily my favorite roll and write. Imperial Settlers Roll and Write is really good if you're a solo player. And Silver and Gold is good if you want a family, easy, 20-minute filler Roll and Write. You know, I mean, all of these are pretty quick. I mean, the Harvest Dice is about half an hour. And, you know, Imperial Settlers shouldn't take you more than 20 minutes either. So, you know, these are cool little games. But as I said, this is free Roll and Writes out of about 550. That's on Board Game Geek or something. I mean, there are just too many of these Roll and Writes now. I am done with the genre, but I understand that this is just me having a little rant on a Sunday afternoon. There's loads of you out there who are big Roll and Write fans. You love this genre, and every time a new one comes out, you're like, oh yeah, I want it. You've got Calic shells full of Roll and Writes. You love them, and that's great. Honestly, that is great. You know, if that is what you are into, then you're into it. You know, I like a lot of the story-based things. I like a lot of the multi-option uh, Euros. I like a lot of the thematic uh, sort of Arkham Horror, Mansions of Madden's app-based stuff. And I know some people can't stand any kind of technology in a game. We're all into different things. And even though I don't like this genre and have very few games I like from it, I, I'm not opposed to the genre like making other people happy. It's like, great. This is just, you know, when people ask me, you know, oh, for advice on rolling rights, I'm really not the person to ask because I don't know enough about a lot of them. I refuse to play a ton of them. I don't even like the genre that much. I mean, I've just given you three rolling rights I like, and they're seven out of tens. So they're good. I can give a seal of endorsement to them. This is the upper level of my liking for these three games, right? They just manage a seal of endorsement. There isn't a single rolling right game. I've given a seal of ex a seal of distinction to, or anywhere near close. Harvest Dice is possibly the only one I would even come close to, and even then, at most I could give this an 8, I wouldn't give it a 9 or a 10, because it is kind of rinse-repeat, you know, in terms of what strategies you can go for, and it's, uh, you know, at the end of the day, it's a roll and write. But, yeah, so take that for what it's worth, with a grain of salt if need be, but if you love it, great. We all like different things. As long as you can respect my opinion, I will gladly respect yours. You know, go and enjoy these games. If you love them, by all means do so. It's just, I just thought I'd have a little fun rant this uh, episode just to say, look, this is what I think of the genre. This is why I don't like the roll and write genre. And whether you agree with my opinions on it or not, that's fine. You just understand where I'm coming from now for a bit of context. So uh, yeah, you know, funny rant over. Let's... Let's move on and shut this down. So thank you for listening to this podcast episode over an hour and 10 minutes. So quite a bumper episode for you there. I'm going to get on with editing this before I eventually go and pick up a curry takeaway because I'm getting a little hungry. And also I want to do a scenario free of Vienna Connection. I want to get through this campaign and do a review for you because I'm enjoying this Vienna Connection. I think it's pretty solid so far. So more on that in the future. But you know, more stuff on the horizon. Uh, I'll do another top 10 at some point. I haven't decided which top 10 category I'm going to do, but I'm going to try and pick a Patreon uh, suggested one. Um, or I might do my own. I'm tempted to do a top 10 five player games because five players is such a horrible number. And I think people would get some use out of that. Let me know in the comments if that's something you'd like to hear at some point. But failing that, I'll pick one of my Patreon topics and run with that. 
Uh, collaborations are a little bit on the slow side at the moment just because a lot of people are busy during the summer, so they haven't been free to do streams. But I have some planned. Uh, Ryan and Bethany will join me for another top 10 in July, early July. Uh, Covery Studios um, are, you know, uh, are going to join me for a top 10 probably in July as well. They've just moved house and they've got a dog and they've got personal stuff to deal with. So it's kind of like, you know what? <laughs> take your time i'm here i'm not going anywhere nor are you so you know willing more than happy for you to be on the channel when the time comes um i've asked meeple town if they want to do something and you know they're they're up for it we just need to arrange a time and even jonah from one pit wonder wants to come back on the show uh for us to do a top five spirits for spirit island you know people have asked us to do a collaboration for spirit island fans and We'd like to, you know, we're not exactly the Spirit Island experts here, you know, like we, we've not played the game 50 times with every spirit, but we just want to do a thing where we just talk about why we like the game and what five spirits we really enjoy playing with. So I don't know when that will happen. I mean, these are all being arranged. We'll just see what happens. And also Billy Indiana has uh, expressed interest in being on the show as well. I know I hinted it in a recent Q&A or collaboration that I did that I'd like to get him on the show as well. So uh, yeah, there's collaborations being planned. It just might be a little while before another one comes out purely because of people being busy. It's the summer. People have got stuff to do on Saturday nights. You know, it's uh, not unrealistic for that sort of thing. Um, and also Paul Grogan uh, wants to do something with me at some point. I know people have asked us to do something. So, uh, you know, uh, we haven't decided what we're going to do. I've given him some ideas. He's got a lot of stuff to deal with for his channel. Uh, but yeah, you know, it'd be good for Paul and I to do something. I'd look forward to that. So yeah, let's say stuff on the horizon. Just, you know, just bear with me. I'm putting out the content. Uh, I've got reviews to come. I've got a Beyond the Base game I'll do for Empires of the North, where I'm going to talk about the uh, factions, uh, the factions all the way up to including the Egyptian kings and talk about briefly, uh, briefly how they work. Not going too much into the mechanical sense but it, take it as a kind of buyer's guide for how you should approach the expansions to empires of the north if you're a new player and obviously another top 10 and stuff so yeah more stuff coming i look forward to doing it so uh take care everybody i'll see you in the next podcast i'll see you on the next broken meeple video whatever it is i do and like i say remember whether you're a roll and write fan or not it's still only a game we can agree to disagree that's all cool as long as you're having fun that's the main thing take care and bye for now. See you soon.